European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 43, Issue 21. Focus Issue, Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathies. By Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. The Challenge of Cardiovascular Prevention in the Elderly. Importance of Randomized Clinical Trials. This focus issue on clinical trials contains a fast-track clinical research contribution entitled Effects of Aspirin on Dementia and Cognitive Function in Diabetic Patients, the ASCEND Trial, by Sarah Parrish from the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. Dementia is raising growing concern, in particular in relation to the progressive increase of life expectancy. The net effect of aspirin on dementia and cognitive impairment is uncertain. In the ASCEND trial, 15,480 people from the UK with diabetes and no history of cardiovascular disease, or CVD, were randomized to aspirin 100 mg daily or matching placebo for a mean of 7.4 years. The 15,427 ASCEND participants with no recorded dementia prior to baseline were included in this cognitive study with a primary pre-specified outcome of broad dementia, comprising dementia, cognitive impairment or confusion. This was ascertained through participant, carer or general practitioner reports or hospital admission diagnosis up to the 31st of March 2019, approximately two years beyond the scheduled treatment period. The broad dementia outcome occurred in a similar percentage of participants in the aspirin group and the placebo group, 548 participants, or 7.1%, versus 598, or 7.8%, rate ratio 0.91, 95% confidence interval, or CI, 0.81 to 1.02. Thus, the CI excluded proportional hazards of greater than 2% and proportional benefits of greater than 19%. The authors conclude that aspirin does not have a large proportional effect on the risk of dementia. Trials or meta-analyses with larger total numbers of incident dementia cases to increase statistical power are needed to assess whether any modest proportional 10-15% to benefit of 5-7 to years of aspirin use on dementia exist. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Steen Christensen, Kevin Olesen, and Michael Meng from the Aarhus University Hospital in Denmark. The authors note that patients in the ASCEND study were well treated, but several promising therapies have been introduced in patients with diabetes in the last decade, such as glucagon-like peptide 1 or GLP-1 receptor antagonists and sodium glucose co-transporter protein 2 inhibitors or SGLT2Is. These drugs improve cardiovascular prognosis and could potentially also have effects on the development of dementia. GLP-1 receptor antagonists have been associated with a reduced risk of Alzheimer's disease, and a randomized trial is currently including patients with early-stage Alzheimer's dementia. Clinicaltrials.gov, NCT 04777409. Although dementia remains a huge global challenge for health and social care, there are reasons to believe that in the future we can prevent or delay this devastating disease so that we can reach the end of life without developing dementia. 
Holly pills are an attractive therapeutic approach in primary CVD prevention. In a clinical research article entitled Holly Pill for Prevention of Cardiovascular Diseases with Focus on Non-Alcoholic Statohepatitis, the Polyaran Liver Trial, Shahin Merat and colleagues from the Tehran University of Medical Sciences in Iran note that individuals with non-alcoholic statohepatitis or elevated liver enzymes have increased cardiovascular mortality but are often excluded from prevention trials. The authors investigated the effectiveness of fixed-dose combination therapy for the prevention of major cardiovascular events, or MCVE, among individuals with and without presumed non-alcoholic statohepatitis, or PNASH. A total of 2,400 participants over 50 were randomized into the intervention and control groups. Participants in the intervention group were given a pill containing aspirin, atorvastatin, hydrochlorothiazide, and valsartin, or polypill. PNASH was diagnosed by ultrasonography and elevated liver enzymes. Among the original randomized population, 11% in the intervention group and 13.5% in the control group had MCVE during the five-year follow-up, adjusted risk ratio, or RR, 0.83, 95% confidence interval, 0.66 to 1.03. Of the 1,508 participants who consented to additional measurements and treatment, 8% in the intervention group and 11.9% in the control group had MCVE, adjusted RR, 0.61, 95% CI, 0.44 to 0.83. In participants with PNASH, the difference did not reach statistical significance. There was no change in liver enzymes in participants taking the polypill. However, among those with PNASH, there was a significant decrease after five-year follow-up. The authors conclude that among patients consenting to receive fixed-dose combination therapy, the polypill is safe and effective for the prevention of MCVE, even among participants with fatty liver and increased liver enzymes. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Philip Joseph and Salem Youssef from the Hamilton Health Sciences and McMaster University in Canada. The authors conclude that there is now ample evidence from large randomized trials to support the use of polypills in primary CVD prevention. Should patients with NASH take a polypill? Given that multiple cardiometabolic risk factors often coexist in these patients, it is likely that the benefits of a polypill will be applicable to many patients with NASH. We now also know that polypills can be safely used in patients with evidence of NASH or abnormal liver enzymes. Efforts should now focus on how this evidence can be implemented in clinical practice to increase the adoption of this highly effective, relatively affordable and safe prevention strategy. In a clinical research article entitled Subcutaneous Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillators Long-Term Results of the Effortless Study Pierre Lambiers and colleagues from the University College of London and Bart's Heart Centre in London, United Kingdom report five-year outcomes of effortless registry patients with early-generation subcutaneous implantable cardioverter defibrillators, or SICD, devices. Kaplan-Meier, Trend, and Multivariable Analyses 
were performed for mortality and late, year 2 to 5, complications. An appropriate shock, or AS, and inappropriate shock, or IAS, rates. A total of 984 of the 994 enrolled patients with diverse diagnoses underwent SICD implantation. Median follow-up was 5.1 years. All-cause mortality was 9.3% at 5 years. 703 patients remained in follow-up on study completion. 171 withdrew, including 87, or 8.8%, with the device explanted. And 65, or 6.6%, were lost to follow-up. Of the explants, 20, or 2% of patients, needed a transvenous ICD, or TV ICD, for pacing indications. First and final shock efficacy for discrete ventricular arrhythmias was consistent at 90% and 98% respectively, with storm episode final shock efficacy at 95.2%. Overall, one- and five-year complication rates were 8.9% and 15.2% respectively. Early complications did not predict later complications. There were no structural lead failures. Inappropriate shock rates at 1 and 5 years were 8.7% and 16.9% respectively. Self-terminating inappropriately sensed episodes predicted late IAS. Predictors of late AS included self-terminating appropriately sensed episodes and early AS. The authors conclude that in this diverse SICD registry population, spontaneous shock efficacy is consistently high over five years. Very few patients undergo SICD replacement with a transvenous device for pacing indications. Treated and self-terminating arrhythmic episodes predict future shock events, which should encourage more personalized device optimization. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Ricardo Capato from the Arrhythmia and Clinical Electrophysiology Center, IRCCS, in Milan, Italy. The author highlights that the study by Lambiers et al. show that early-generation SICDs were strong from the start and successfully passed the powerful test of time. Also, thanks to the contribution of second- and third-generation technologies, the SICD system continues to evolve with appreciable results. At present, automatic QRST sensing analysis enables suitability for SICD in greater than 90% of screened patients. Rapid, smart evolution of algorithm technology has reduced inappropriate shock rates to less than 2.5% at intermediate follow-up. Magnetic resonance imaging or MRI-compatible technology, remote monitoring, and algorithms for detection of atrial fibrillation have meanwhile been integrated into currently commercialized units. Results from recent studies motivate the spread of indications to previously neglected patient categories. The risk of a later need for bradycardia, tachycardia, and resynchronization pacing in patients with no such indication at the time of implantation now appears negligible and supports the selection of SICDs versus TVICDs in larger populations. Future studies are necessary to consolidate current evidence, test upcoming improvements of SICDs, 
and assess the cost-effectiveness of SICDs compared with TV IVDs. Results from these studies will help to refine the coming field of action of SICDs in the everlasting battle of man against sudden cardiac death. Prevention and treatment of the elderly is frequently challenging. Joint prevention of CVD and dementia could reduce the burden of both conditions. In a clinical research article entitled Effect of a Multi-Domain Lifestyle Intervention on Cardiovascular Risk in Older People, the Finger Trial, Jenny Latizalo and colleagues from the University of Eastern Finland note that the Finnish Geriatric Intervention Study to Prevent Cognitive Impairment and Disability, or FINGER, demonstrated a beneficial effect on cognition, the primary outcome. In the current study, they assessed the effect of this lifestyle intervention on incident CVD, the pre-specified secondary outcome. The FINGER trial enrolled 1,259 individuals aged 60 to 77 years. They were randomized one-to-one to a two-year multi-domain intervention with diet, physical and cognitive activity, and vascular monitoring or general health advice. National registries provided data on CVD, including stroke, transient ischemic attack or TIA, or a coronary heart event. During an average of 7.4 years, 18% of participants had at least one CVD diagnosis. The incidence of cerebrovascular events was significantly lower in the intervention group than in the control group. Hazard ratio, or HR, for combined stroke and TIA was 0.71 after adjusting for background characteristics. HR for coronary events was 0.84, 95% CI, 0.56 to 1.26. And for total CVD events was 0.80, 95% CI, 0.61 to 1.04. Among those with a history of CVD, N equaling 145, the incidence of both total CVD events, HR 0.50, and stroke and TIA, HR 0.40, was significantly lower in the intervention group than in the control group. The authors conclude that a two-year multi-domain lifestyle intervention among older adults is effective in preventing cerebrovascular events and total CVD events among those who had a history of CVD. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Michel Nutzias and colleagues from the University Hospital of the Brandenburg Medical School Theodore Fontaine, MHB, Germany. The authors conclude that undoubtedly the FINGER trial is a further major step to decipher the efficacy of holistic intervention strategies beyond the effects of contemporary medical strategies and may therefore pave the way for future-related studies striving to consolidate the evidence of multi-domain lifestyle interventions for reduction of both cardiovascular endpoints and dementia. Overall, it's an additional field of heart-brain research. Finally, in another clinical research article entitled Effect of five years of exercise training on the cardiovascular risk profile of older adults, a Generation 100 randomized trial. John Magna Lettners and colleagues from the Norwegian University of Science and Technology sought to compare the effects of five years of supervised exercise training, or XCOM, and the differential effects of subgroups of high intensity interval training, or HIT, 
and moderate intensity continuous training, or MICT, with control on the cardiovascular risk profile in older adults. Older adults aged 70 to 77 years from Trondheim, Norway, N equaling 1,567, 50% women, able to safely perform exercise training, were randomised to five years of two weekly sessions of HIT or MICT, together forming XCOM, or control, instructed to follow physical activity recommendations. The main outcomes were a continuous cardiovascular risk score, or CCR, individual cardiovascular risk factors, and peak oxygen uptake, or VO2 peak. CCR was not significantly lower and VO2 peak was not significantly higher for XCOM versus control. It showed a higher VO2 peak, but not lower CCR versus control. MICT did not show significant differences compared with control or HIT. Individual risk factors mostly didn't show significant between-group differences, with some exceptions for HIT being better than control. There was no significant effect modification by sex. The number of cardiovascular events was similar across groups. The healthy and fit study sample and contamination and crossover between intervention groups challenged the possibility of detecting between-group differences. The authors conclude that five years of supervised exercise training in older adults had little effect on the cardiovascular risk profile and did not reduce cardiovascular events. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Mylis Helenius and colleagues from the Karolinska Institute. These authors state that it's difficult to perform strict randomized controlled trials in health-conscious people where substantial spillover effects between groups are likely to occur. This happened in the study by Lethnes and co-authors. Study results need to be wisely interpreted. Notably, in the study, within-group positive effects were seen on many important cardiovascular risk factors, and even small reductions in the individual risk factors at the population level could provide major health benefits. Furthermore, of note is that no CVD events occurred during supervised training, indicating the safety of HIT in older adults. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.